I've mentioned last week, Habakkuk was a prophet. Uh, he called himself the prophet. Uh, he knew the Lord personally. He communed with him as a friend. Habakkuk was a, a musician and a singer. Chapter 3 is a hymn, actually, uh, as it says, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Uh, Habakkuk was passionate for God and the things of God, and uh, he was a man of true faith. And where we pick up uh, a little bit is Habakkuk's theme is the just shall live by faith. I did mention that last week. Now, several things <clears throat> as we think about this, that in Habakkuk chapter 2, if you found your place there in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Living by faith, it requires God's word. It also, verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Faith requires patience. He says there is an appointed time for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, just as God may, uh, has specific prophecies, God also has things in our lives that he wants us to wait for in patience. Uh, God, faith requires humility. Verse 4, Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So it requires humility. The path, living by faith, is the path of the just. Living by faith is to trust God in every circumstance. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. This is a little bit of review from last week. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit uh, be in the vines. And the labor of the oil shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So joy, rejoicing in the Lord in every circumstance. I spoke about that. And living by faith is rejoicing in the Lord. Now here's some lessons uh, as we continue on from our lesson last week. Some lessons about God. Now, the main purpose of the Bible is to reveal God, his characteristics, his name. Uh, all about God is the Bible. And Habakkuk's prophecy is filled with lessons about the Lord. Whew, that's warm. All right. God answers his people's questions when they ask in faith and not in doubt. And, uh, you know, it's an act of great mercy of the Lord that he does answer us. That God answers a fallen mankind. Would you look with me at James chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 7. We'll do a little bit of uh, turn, page turning here on a few passages of Scripture. James chapter 1. Uh, that, you know, it is amazing that God knows when you can ask a question, God knows whether the question you're asking is either in faith or it's a question asked in doubt. And God knows the difference. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But uh, God is clear that when I'm asking him, I've got to ask from the perspective of believing not only that he can, but that he is able and uh, that he is the only one that I need for whatever the request is. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You see, God doesn't go back on his word. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, how often is it in our requests that as I'm asking of God, we're thinking, well, I, I have, I've tried other solutions in my own power and in my own means, and it hasn't worked out. So I figure I'll just go to God and ask him. Well, <clears throat> again, you're still making God a last-ditch effort uh, to remedy a situation in your own power. And, uh, you know, many times, <clears throat> now sometimes when we get to that position, we realize, uh-oh, I really messed up. I really do need God. And, I, you know, Lord, I forgive me for my unfaithfulness. 
in uh, verse 7, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A man who's asking not in faith. And God is clear that when we're asking him, that we've got to ask in faith. I want to show you, there's two people, they ask a question in Luke chapter 1. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. There's two people, they both ask a question. One is in faith, and the other one is in doubt. So we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Luke chapter 1, verse 18, our Bible's very clear on this. And um, the first one who asks is Zacharias. Zacharias and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's dad. And uh, he asked a question of the Lord. Look with me at verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? And the angel told him, obviously, that he would have a child, he and Elizabeth. Well, Elizabeth is very old. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. Stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So all he did is he said, how can this be? Look with me at verse 34. Uh, uh, Mary asked a very similar thing. But her questioning was not, uh, how can this be? You know, here is Zacharias and Elizabeth, and uh, they're, well, you know, they're way much older and uh, far past childbearing years. Impossible to bear a child. On the contrary, you have Mary, a young virgin, young woman. Impossible to have a child, having not known a man. And verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So as you look in this passage of Scripture, you find a difference of Zacharias is like, this is impossible. This will never be. But Mary says, how can it be? I'm a virgin. This isn't, I don't know how this can work, Phys you know, uh, physically speaking. And uh, the angel explains, and she says, well, whatever it is, let it be. You know, and, and so Zacharias was reproved for asking a question on belief, but Mary was answered because, you know, and even commended for asking a question in faith. So it adds... It beckons the, the notion and the idea that as I'm asking, I'm asking from the position of faith. And uh, here's some lessons from the prophet's relationship with God as he would do this, you know, and, and, and Habakkuk shows us much about the Lord. Uh, as we get to know this man, and obviously, as I said, we don't know a ton about him, his family line or those sorts of things. But in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, art thou not... Verse, art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God? So we learn that he understands God is everlasting. He then he goes on to say, my God, mine holy one. He understands that God is holy. Then he further, he said, we shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He's mighty. He is sovereign. Look with me at verse uh, 4. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. God is sovereign over the nations. God can give judgment when he wants. And I want to look at a parallel passage of this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, we'll come back to Habakkuk. But I'm just going the overview of Habakkuk today. 
and uh, some of the themes, the ideas that we're going to see in this book as we do our study of it. And uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, uh, <clears throat> and he, that's the Lord, changeth the times and the season. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So God removes kings and sets up kings. Again, another understanding that God is ultimately in control of the governments that are currently in power in this world. Um, you know, that's a reassurance. Because, yes, I, don't, I may not like the particular government we have. But I have to understand that they're there at the, at the allowance of the Lord. God has allowed them. God has set them up for this period of time. It is not my desire, but it's all about the Lord. So God is in control. God is also the God of the whole earth, uh, Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So he's the God of all the earth. Habakkuk 3.18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He is our Savior. He is the judge of unrepentant sinners, verses 12 and 13. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation of the neck. God judges unrepentant sinners. God is holy and just. He will not overlook sin, as we're going to look in here. He will judge the wicked in fiery indignation in the day of the Lord. And uh, as we go further here in this book, we get a kind of an intimate look uh, at his relationship with God. And you know what? That's always helpful because it's allowing us to say, you know what? Where can I get closer with God in my life? How do I uh, draw nigh to the Lord? What does it look like from these character, you know, these uh, individuals in the Bible? Many times, uh, at least for myself, many years ago, I would think, you know, I'm thinking about these prophets and I'm thinking, man, they're so much higher than I am. I mean, these, these are like the super saints. Uh, I'm just a regular saint of the Lord, but these are like super saints. No, they're not. They're not super saints. They're just people that walked in faith with the Lord and got to know God, and God used them during a period of time. And uh, we see the same thing here of Jeremiah and Hosea, men that walked with God. And God loves his prophets. He calls them my servants, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25. Now, they had a very difficult job. All of them, all of these prophets, have a difficult job. And just prior to Babylon's fall, or excuse me, not Babylon's fall, just prior to Judah falling, um, these prophets there in Israel and in Judah, Judah had fall, or Israel had fallen many years prior, but Israel and Judah have prophets that are reproving them, like, hey, you're a bunch of idolaters, wicked, uh, rebellious people, and you won't listen to God. You won't listen to the authority. They wouldn't listen to the authorities that God had placed in the prophets to, uh, to repent of their sins. God was with them. Now, one of the wonderful things in the prophets is that God strengthened them. He protected them. He encouraged them. He challenged them. He helped them. Now, there are times that uh, God did allow these prophets to be killed. But he gave them special wisdom for a particular time. Now, serving God in even the most difficult tasks can very well be a thankless venture, right? A thankless task. And uh, now, the faithful servant of God is blessed in this world and in the world to come. And Habakkuk could be called the prophet of the watchtower. Look with me at Habakkuk 2.1. I will stand upon the watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So here's the, the position, the prophet in his watchtower. And when, when Habakkuk is called by the Lord, 
he has God's message that's given to him. And he seeks God's wisdom. He understands that, I've, and here's what God, here's you know, the burden, the vision that God's placed upon me, and, and I need to go do it. But I don't know how to do it. Let's look at me at verse 2. So he, verse 2 of Habakkuk 1, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not say. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. God, I need your wisdom, he's crying. I mean, he cries out. How long shall I cry? And God, you don't hear. God, I need to hear from you. God, I, I want to hear from you. And, uh, you know, he's communing with God. He's reasoning with God. He says, listen, the wickedness is abounding and wickedness is going forth. And, and God, I'm just crying out and I need your help at this time. And, and I don't know what to do. And much as... Habakkuk is communing and reasoning with God. He's also reasoning with men, much like we'd find in Isaiah 118. Would you turn with me here to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Then we'll go to verse 4, chapter 41. But Isaiah 118. The Bible reads, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Well, what is he doing? He said, let us reason together. And reasoning with God begins with salvation and, and this idea. But here's a reasoning with men. Let us reason together. God wants man to reason and realize that God is the answer. Verse chapter 41 of Isaiah, chapter Isaiah 41, 21. Isaiah 41, 21. Isaiah 41, 21. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Notice with me, God here in this passage of Scripture says, king of Jacob, he says, listen, I'm still the one in control. I'm the one in control of Jacob. I'm in the one in control of all of Israel, all the 12 tribes. But he says, bring forth your reasons. Now, the reasoning begins with, you know, with God and begins with salvation. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. So God says, you know, and, and God wants us to approach him. And just as you would think about uh, in, in the approach at the temple or the approach of the tabernacle, the very first thing as you enter into the tabernacle, the very first thing as you enter in the, temp in the temple is an altar for the sacrifice of an animal. Well, the very first thing that we do when we enter to, towards God is we go through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we have to come on God's terms. You couldn't just come into the temple, bypass the sacrifice, and just work your way into the Holy of Holies without doing it in God's ordained, structured order. God is always ordered. The only way that a sinner can be reconciled by God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's that sacrifice. When Paul would reason with men from scriptures, he was God's ambassador. In Acts chapter 17, verse 2, we find in Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And then verse, chapter 18, verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. 
So the Apostle Paul, as he reasons, he only reasons through Scripture. If we begin to get brought down in our reasoning to, well, I feel like this and you feel like this, we've totally lost the ability of our, uh, of our reasoning. The very foundation of our reasoning is unsettled. It's, it's moved. When I begin to say, well, this is how I see it and you see it, and, and, and there's a lot of problems there. And so, and we are all invited to study the scriptures, to hear God's word, to study to show ourselves approved unto God. And uh, now Habakkuk is not blaming God or complaining against him, but he's asking God for wisdom. And he's also saying, hey, God, judgment is going, or the wicked are, are moving forward, and I don't understand it. Now, <clears throat> we are at liberty to ask of God. Would you look with me at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6? We are, uh, we, <clears throat> we are open to ask God questions, but I'm not asking him questions from the position of doubt. I'm asking him questions from the position of standing in faith, much like Mary did. Not like Zacharias, but like Mary did. And um, it's a very powerful thing. Now, Habakkuk, or excuse me, Zacharias was there in the temple standing in God's place as a priest and yet exhibiting great un- lack of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible tells us, but without faith, it is impossible. He gives no cause for pleasant to be pleasing to God apart from exclusive faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently please him. So not, it's, it's a complete trust, a complete belief, and a complete obedience, right? Diligently seek him. But I'm not at liberty to doubt God. Now, in our, in our human flesh, we do doubt God. God, are you around? God, do you care? But unfortunately, what that's demonstrating is a lack of knowing God. The Bible nowhere encourages unbelief and doubting. Jesus would often reprove the disciples for their little faith. Let's look at the book of Matthew. We're going to look at a couple passages here in the book of Matthew where Jesus would reprove or correct his disciples for their lack of faith. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. I'm in Mark. That doesn't, I was like, that doesn't look right. Matthew 6, 30. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. The Bible says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Look at chapter 8, verse 26. Well, look at verse 25. They're in a ship. The ship is covered with waves, and and they're fearful that we're going to drown, not understanding and not recognizing the power that is there in their boat. The very God who created creation is there in their boat. They're not going anywhere. In verse 25, and disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Jesus was asleep on the boat as it's being violently rocked about in the sea. Verse 26, and he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus, again, he's rebuking faithlessness. Right? They're, they're, they're lacking faith. Chapter 14, verse 31. 
The one thing that God wants us to, to get across in our mind is <clears throat> he can be trusted in everything. It's easy to say here, I trust God in everything. It's hard to trust God when the bottom falls out in our life, when there's circumstances far beyond what I can see the end of. It looks very ominous. It looks very, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> just like a doom. It looks like there's no hope. Because if I'm putting my hope in the vision uh, that I can see, and as distant as I can see, that these circumstances are going to go, then what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, I, I don't trust you. In Matthew 14, 31, the Bible clearly tells us, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now this is Peter as he walks on water. And the wind was very boisterous. I mean, it was loud. The wind's howling past his ears and his, and his eyes and all around him. And, and it's the elements of nature that get Peter to doubt more than the God who's in control of the elements. We can, get, we can allow the elements of this life, circumstances of this life, to create in us such a worry and fear and fret that I forget the very God who, is, who made all of this. And so I get, we get distracted. We, I think all of us are like Peter. When, when the things are coming against us in such a, uh, in a fierce manner, the afflictions and trials and tribulations that I'm going through, I am so prone to want to give in and worry as well as try to solve the problem in my own understanding. And as we do that, much like Peter, he begins to sink and Habakkuk is, is understanding that I've just got to trust God. There is nowhere that Jesus gives credibility or gives any allowance for a lack of faith. Because here again, he scolds Peter for a little faith. Look with me at chapter 16, verse 8. We'll look at verse 5 for understanding. And Jesus feeds the multitudes here, but verse 5, And when his disciples were come, to take, were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, Jesus reminds them, he says, listen, I fed the 5,000. I fed the 4,000. With the 5,000, there was 12 baskets left over from five uh, loaves and two fishes from a little boy. O ye of little faith. Faith is what God demands. Now, in God's graciousness to Habakkuk coming back here to this passage of Scripture, God answers his prayer, graciously answers it. Verse 5. Behold, ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, 
I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves, and their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasted to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn in them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this power unto his God. God answers Habakkuk. He says, here's what's going to happen. You know, when God gives this clear direction, though, just as God had given to Zacharias, God had given to Mary, and God had even given to the disciples, he said, Peter, you're going you're to doubt me. You're going to deny me three times. It's easy to question God. It's easy to say, God, I don't understand. In verse 12 through 17, we, we see here, we're going to read this, that again, the prophet, after he just had God give him clear direction, he questions him. Verse 12, Habakkuk 1. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. And canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? He's understanding. He's saying, "Hey, we're are we more righteous? God, how can this be?" And makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice in their net and burn incense into their drag. Because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? He's asking God, why are you using a wicked nation to judge a wicked nation? He's saying we're more righteous than the Chaldeans. Do you ever wonder why it is sometimes that evil people are allowed to triumph over, let's say, Christians? Evil people with whom, who do not know God are allowed, at times, to have victory, in the immediate sense, over believers. Could it very well be that those believers are not right with God and God is using those believers to say, hey, you're in a wrong course of action. I'm going to use evil against you, evil people, and I'll allow them. I was just watching a, this particular documentary about, calls, uh, about churches and the absolute wickedness that is going on in our nation and in the states, particularly the states was the documentary on <clears throat> and the ideology that is so pervasive in our wicked public school system, wicked, our wicked government, our government, our school system, they're indoctrinating institutions seeking to turn the hearts of children against God. 
But God is using the wicked to wake believers up saying, we've got a problem. Our nation is going downhill. What is the answer? Well, we need to get people into politics. I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but that's not the primary solution. The primaries, and, and as I, they gave at the end, they, obviously they were not of the same position where we were at, but at the end they said, be faithful to your local church, read your Bible daily, uh, and I was like, those praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on that. And they don't allow, you know, yourself and your children listening to all this filth, indoctrination of garbage, paganism. And... <clears throat> Habakkuk's like, I don't understand. So then he does something. God, I, I don't, how can evil be used to correct? I understand we're not perfect, God. But how is that possible? So he goes to his watchtower and he waits for God's answer. Chapter 2, verse 1, as we have read. It's a small fortress where a watchman would look out for enemies in danger. There were watchtowers and vineyards and city walls and on prominent hills and ridges, as the Bible speaks about. His full attention was, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, will watch to see what he will say unto me. How can evil exist? He was sitting and he was sleeping, he was standing, he was watching. God, I need that answer. Why does evil prevail in our world? He studies God's word. What he had of it at the time doesn't obviously have the full canon of scriptures we have. But he prays for wisdom. This is what he loved. This was his life. God, I need you. He didn't waste his life on vanities. He said, God, I got to know what you have to say. Serious, time, valuable, eternal things are important to him. He's not arguing with God. He's not doubting with God now. But he says, I, I, you know, he was doubting, but he says, God, I don't know what to do and I don't understand it, but I need your answer. He says, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. He understands. He says, you know what? God could very well be correcting me. And I'm okay with that. He was willing to be corrected. He was willing to have his thinking changed to align with the truth of God's word. He's not hasty or forceful. He just says, I'm going to wait on God until I get an answer. However long it takes, I'm going to wait. And Christian, I have to say, so often when God doesn't answer, we say, okay, well, this must be what I'm supposed to do. God hasn't given me clear direction. And we end up then getting rebuked, corrected, even though we didn't want to be. You know, we need to always be willing to be corrected by God, willing to uh, be put right, Because I, I'm, it's not my prerogative or my place to tell God what he has to do or try to tell God he has to answer to me. He doesn't have to answer me. He does, but he doesn't have to. He's given me all the instruction I need. God answers the prophet in chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that you may run that read it. You can read all the way through it, verse 20, and we'll look at all these verses uh, following. 
But in the answer here, chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, is trust me. Wait on me in every circumstance of life. I am in full control, God's letting him know. Working out all things for my eternal plans. My word will be fulfilled. The vision and the prophecies and what I'm giving you, Habakkuk, they will be fulfilled. Don't you worry, Habakkuk, I got it covered. Judgment's coming. There's coming a day of eternal kingdom of Christ that will be established. Habakkuk 2, 13 and 14. You can look here. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is talking about the day that Christ rules and reigns on the earth. He responds then, Habakkuk does, by the prayer of Shigonoth. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Some of the other major lessons before I'm done this morning of Habakkuk. Number one, Israel was filled with injustice, strife, spoiling, and violence. I would say that pretty well summarizes our, our nation. Number two, God was going to judge Israel by the instrument of Babylon. I find it interesting that we're having such attacks from other nations and our economy is suffering, inflation's going high, mortgages and all sorts of things are beginning. I mean, there's very ominous future. China is looming. Iran is only days away from a nuclear weapon. North Korea has weapons. And the moment God says, I'm not protecting Canada anymore, is the moment we're done. God can use wicked nations. And China is wicked. North Korea is wicked. Iran is wicked. Russia is wicked. Canada is wicked. God will use an evil nation to judge an evil nation. The word of God is sure. Another lesson here. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. What if you were taken captive to another country? Where would your faith be? We're invaded by an invading army. Let's say Iran or China invades Canada. We're overwhelmed. The U.S. can no longer help us. They've been incapacitated. Uh, They've been demolished. And uh, now we're in trouble. What do we do? Do I say, I give up? God's left us? The just shall live by his faith. God will judge sin, verses 5 through 19 of chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14, God's going to overthrow this world's government, systems, to establish his own rule. Another lesson is God is sovereign over the whole earth, Habakkuk 2.20. The righteous tremble at God's word, and the righteous trust God and wait on him. These are the lessons here. So the outline of Habakkuk is we're going to look, start looking at chapter 1 next week by God's grace. The outline, as we look at chapter 1, is... Verses 2 through 4, how long will God allow sin and corruption continue in Israel? Why does it continue? I mean, we think about all the perversion of this land, the, the woke agenda, the LGBTQ plus I, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And they're trying to pervert the minds of our children to question their own genders. That's evil, demonic, and wicked. 
Marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. What is a man? What is a woman? I'm telling you, sin will be judged. Verses 5 through 11, God's answer is, I'm going to judge by Babylon. Verses 12 through 17, Habakkuk's question, why does God use a wicked nation to judge Israel? He waits, and then chapter 2, verse 1, he goes to the watchtower, he waits. Chapter 2, verse uh, 2 through 20, God's answer. His people must trust him and wait on him. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, is a prayer of faith. That's the outline of Habakkuk. Looking forward to this study as... uh, you know what? There's a lot of nations of this world. I think every nation of this world is in trouble. Every nation, every continent is in trouble. We are a world that has turned our back on the only true and living God. Is there truth in these nations? Of course there is. But Christian, my faith does not end when the country ends. My faith does not end with a patriotism that I have towards this country. My faith is settled in the eternal God who rules and reigns and sets up kings and tears them down. We have to understand that God very well may use a more wicked nation to judge this evil nation that we live in. Don't let it unsettle your faith. The just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I yield today to Thee. I thank You for being our gracious Savior. Our Father, I want to thank You for the challenge from Your Word that the just shall live by faith. And Father, I pray that that would be true of our lives. That we would not capitulate. We would not give in when there's overwhelming force of evil. That the answer to our problems is not a human reasoning or political upheaval. The answer is a spiritual revival of our nation. And we as believers, we have the truth, and the answer is Jesus Christ. And souls that need to be saved, churches that need to be established, new believers that need to be discipled, older believers that need to be discipled, and encouraged and motivated to get involved in the fight for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let us not in these last days be apathetic, lazy. May we hold it true to be faithful to Thee. So Lord, I give it all into Your hands. I love You. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.